0: We are in week three of this new message series or series of messages called The Gospel According to John. And we've been now looking at some specific things that we have seen in John chapter one. So if you're new today, welcome. We're glad that you are here. You've just missed two weeks, and so you're still in on the front end of this. And if you aren't uh, aware of those messages, or, or haven't uh, you know heard about what we have said over the last few weeks, then you can go watch those messages online. But in John chapter 1, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be there again today. We've seen two things so far. We've seen The Word of God, the first five verses, talking about Jesus and how he was at the beginning and he made everything, and so everything came from him, and he is this Word. He's the thing behind the things. And then in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, we've looked at John, the witness. And so you had the Word, which is Jesus, and you have the witness which was john and that's what we talked about last week and there's this kind of pattern that's going to go throughout the the better part of the first part of john chapter one where it kind of rotates back and forth between the word and the witness the word and the witness and so we're going to go back into that pattern today and now we're going to see the word so we're going to be in verses 9 through 13. if you don't have a bible don't worry about it we've got the verses here on the screen in fact we'd love to give you a bible after our gathering is over if you don't even own one to be our gift You and now we're going to see back to Jesus who Jesus is, but this time John is going to use a different word to describe him not that he is the word, but he is the light. And so I'm going to do this uh, kind of very similar to what I did last week. If you were here, the first couple verses in John chapter one, and then I'm going to go back into the Old Testament and look at some reference to help us understand into the book of Isaiah, ironically, again. And then we're going to come back into John chapter 1. So only four verses, but as always, that doesn't mean the sermon's any shorter, all right? Because we got weeks and weeks to dig into chapter 1, and I'm very, very excited about it. We got years to dig into the gospel according to John. So let's go. John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 first. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So let's stop and chat about those two verses right there. The first part here of verse nine, it says, the true light, again, is contrasting that Jesus is the light and not John. And we talked about that last week, how healthy it is for each and every one of us to know who we are and who we're not. And one of the biggest failures that we make as human beings is actually assuming that we're the light actually assuming that we are the source and we're going to do this in a few weeks i told you that last week we get to verses 19 through 28 and how healthy it was that john the witness otherwise known as john the baptist he knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't And so now, John the Apostle, and again, you gotta get those right. You got John the Apostle, that's first cousin of Jesus. You got John the Witness or John the Baptist, second cousin of Jesus. So, John the Apostle is the one who is writing this, and he's telling us about John the Witness. And now he's going back to say, the true light. Now, this word here, true, means genuine or real. Here's one definition of it that I just really like not imaginary not imaginary. Now, here's why I like this. How many times in your life have you had imaginary lights? Now, I'm not talking about imaginary friends that you may have had as a kid. All right, that's creativity. All right, that's healthy and right. That's fine. But how many times in your life have you maybe imagined, maybe yourself, maybe someone you were Dating, and this is the the hard part about dating, and I always like to just throw in a little reference in there about relationships, maybe those of you that are dating, here's a bit of advice to you. Do not imagine that he is the light or that she is the light, because that's what dating is, especially for like the first six months. It's all imaginary, right? And this is why people are like, why aren't you more like when we were dating? Because that was fake. That was imaginary. That was made up. This is real. Now, real in that sense, you're like, well, that's not good, right? And and I know we're a week after Valentine's, so you're like, yeah, it was all imaginary. But this is genuine or real in a positive sense. Again, the best thing that we could see. The the best thing that could happen to us is for us to find out what is real and what is imaginary as quick as possible. And so John, again, at the first instance in this gospel, you have to remember John chapter 20, uh, that he gives us his purpose statement for writing this letter. He wants us to believe. He wants us to believe Jesus is the Christ and in believing have life. So you need to see it like this. What God is offering In Jesus is genuine life, real life, not imaginary. And so that comes through and only through Jesus, which gets into the next part where he says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, gives light. To everyone. Now, we'll deal with this a little bit more at the end of the message because there's a huge theological debate that has been going on for thousands of years in that it is the gospel is the light for everyone. Now, nobody, nobody argues that—let me say it like this—anybody within orthodox belief or Christianity, no one in that sphere argues that everyone is saved. This is not universalism where all roads lead to God. But this idea of light is for everyone, and then later we're gonna see how we are born again, born of God, verse 13. And so you just need to know there's this tension that we feel. It's like, well, hold on. If he gives light to everyone, then why isn't everyone saved? Well, what you need to know here. And really what the purpose of what John is trying to get to see here is not that everyone is saved, not that everyone gives light. He's saying, if anyone is going to be saved, it's going to come from the true light. There's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one true source and everyone has access to it, but you need to know there's one true one, one real one, and all others are imaginary. And then the next line here, which I love, helps distinguish, well, why is Jesus the true light and all the other ones are false? Look back at that next phrase. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, was coming. Now, I say this to you often. I'll say it again at the end of the message today, and I'll probably get really excited about it because I tend to do that. But what sets apart... Jesus from any other source or what sets apart Christians or Christianity from any other belief system is Christianity is the only belief system that is built upon the truth that we are not saved because we got to God, but we are saved because God got to us. There's a difference. And this is why when people say, why don't all roads lead to God? Because all those roads are predicated upon you traveling. But when God comes down a mountain, how many routes does he take? One. So it's not about all the routes going up. It's about the one route that came down. It's about the word. It's about the light. He was coming. Now, that is what gives the gospel power, if you will. That's what makes it unique. That's what what makes us understand, oh, this is different. And there's something something about that truth that when you see it displayed like in movies, it just, this is the parts of the movies where you're like, oh, hold up, something's happening. Let me give you an example here. I don't know if you've seen the movie series, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, who was written by C.S. Lewis, who I'm actually going to quote, at the end of our message today, who was a believer, and that whole storyline is his kind of allegorical way of explaining the truths of the Bible. And one of the most powerful parts in the movie, in fact, I was just watching it earlier before I came out here, just getting myself fired up about it again, is the lion, who is the Christ figure, Aslan, when there's this scene, and it's the beavers talking, if you don't know the story, you're like, this is strange. But, but they say this quote, and it was after the lion had died, and, and all hope was lost, but then you see this clip where the beavers are like, Aslan is on the move. And when you hear that, and you're like, yes, he's, he's on the move, right? Like, he didn't. Leave us. We're not alone. We are now underneath, in that story, the spell of the wicked witch, right? Who brought winter, which signifies sin and death everywhere. But if Aslan is on the move, then we are not without hope. And so here's what John is saying the true light, what makes him the true light, is he is moving. He's on the move. And this is why I love Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And I don't have the verse on the screen, but just as a reference. And if you've been around church, you know it, where it says, The Word of God is alive, is living and active. Now, we typically think about that as the Bible, and that's not a wrong interpretation. But what did John say Jesus was? The Word. And what makes him the word is that he is alive. He's moving. He's active. And what John 1, 9 tells us, the word was coming. Was coming into the world. So the good news of the gospel is simply this. If God is on the move, then you're not without hope. You're not without the ability to understand the true source. Why? Because ultimately, your hope is not based upon your ability to get to God, but on God's ability to get to you. And then verse 10, he says this. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, I referenced this actually a couple weeks ago, but I'm gonna bring it back here again just in case you forgot what I said or weren't here. But the idea that sets... Also, Christianity apart, and this is what differentiates it between Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, because those are something other than Christians, is that Jesus is God. He's not a God. He wasn't made by God, which is what those religions believe. He was the God who made everything. And I kid you not, two weeks ago after I preached that message, and and again, I'm not trying to be crude or mean towards other religious belief systems. I just want you to know the differences. But literally two days after I preached that message, I got a a handwritten note in the mail from someone in our community that was Jehovah's Witness trying to convert me. And I thought, God, this is hilarious. And I showed Lindsay. I'm like, look at this. I can't make this up. And, And what I wanted to write back is just go watch my sermon. Like, I'm good. I I believe Jesus. And the Jesus I believe is different than the Jesus you believe because the Jesus I believe made everything. He wasn't made. And then he says this, I love it. Sorry, I don't love this. Let me clarify. Yet the world did not know him. Now, this is important. And if you want to go ahead and and turn to Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to get there in just a second. That's in your Old Testament. But there's a sad truth about the fact that Jesus is the word. He made the world. He's on the move. He shows up. And yet the world doesn't know him. The world doesn't know him. In just a minute, it's going to say he came to his own people. They didn't receive him. Now, I can't think of a sadder truth than that. And the only way that we can relate it is for those of us who have children. I mean, your children, whether it is through you know, biological birth or adoption, are, are there a sense that their life, everything about their life, comes from you. You birthed them or adopted them, you provide for them. And so in a sense, you could say that they were made by you. But can you imagine a sadder truth that those who were made in your image grow up and act like you don't exist? But like the worst, one of the worst tragedies I could imagine is my kids growing up and I not know them and they don't know me. And so if you want to know why does God come into the world, it's because he wants his children to know him. This idea of know means to know experientially. It's the idea of relationships. God wants you to know him. But the sad truth is when he showed up, people didn't recognize him. They didn't know him because they were looking Through non-spiritual eyes, they were looking in the darkness. They were looking for someone that they thought was going to be different. So they missed him. Now let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. I'm just going to do the first three verses, although this chapter is amazing because it talks about Jesus actually suffering and dying, which that's why, particularly if you're going to have conversations with Jewish people, one of the best ways to do it is not out of the New Testament, but out of the Old Testament, and Isaiah's... The place to go, because you see more messianic prophecies in in Isaiah than you do anywhere else. So here's Isaiah chapter 53, and he's writing, telling us about when Jesus shows up. Look at verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 2, now specifically about Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, this is describing Jesus before Jesus shows up. And here's what you need to know, and this is particularly true in our day and age because we are a very image-conscious culture. Isaiah just, and this is gonna sound heretical to you, so I'm gonna preface it on the front end so that you don't think I'm being heretical or being mean. But you wanna know what Isaiah just said about Jesus when he showed up? He ain't Fabio. That's what he just said. He just said he had no form, and that's an outward appearance, or majesty, or beauty that we should desire him. And that word, their desire, is an idea of like, oh, he's fun, or oh, she's hot. And it's this, this is this idea within human beings about attraction. So here's Isaiah describing Jesus, and he's saying, listen, if he showed up today, you wouldn't be physically attracted to him. Now, why am I stressing this? Because almost every picture you've ever seen of Jesus, is he not like a six-foot-tall stud? Right? Because we can't imagine having a Savior that's ugly. Why? Because we always picture a savior in our image. Because see, in our culture, if you are beautiful, if you have form and majesty and people desire you, then you are the most to be praised, right? And why am I stressing this? Because John 1.10 says he came into the world and the world didn't know him. Why? Because they were looking for something that he wasn't. And here's why I'm stressing this to you. I want you to know him. But the reason why most people miss Jesus today is because they don't know him. Because they're looking for the source and something else. Another thing he says here is he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. What that means is he experienced grief. You want to know why I think so many people don't know Jesus? It's because they miss that he actually shows up in your life, not in glory, but in grief. He shows up in grief. I mean, that's the story of Job, right? The book in the Bible that none of us want to read. And and this is why I Rag on prosperity preachers preachers sometime, particularly coming out of last year in 2020, because I can't tell you how many preachers were like, 2020, year of vision, year of increase. Oh, did they get that wrong? I did not hear a preacher prophesy, you know what? 2020 is going to be your worst year. 2020, everything's going to be taken from you, your freedoms, your liberties, your health, your jobs, your wealth. You're going to lose it in a week. Didn't hear that. Why? Because that doesn't sell, does it? If I wrote a book about how God comes to you in grief and so expect grief, you're like, I don't like that book. I don't want that book, pastor. No, I want you to write a book about how God wants me to be wealthy and wise and influence. I want a book that's, that's gonna tell me that God wants me to succeed, you know, up and to the right, pastor. But a gospel that says your savior ain't a Fabio and he he comes in in weakness and grief, huh? What kind of savior is that? See, one of the reasons why the people of God, the Jewish people, miss Jesus is because they didn't see that he was gonna show up in grief, not in glory. See, Isaiah calls him the suffering servant. They missed it. And the reason why I'm stressing this is because if you don't know him, then you will miss him too when he shows up. He's on the move, make no mistake about it. He's going to come to you, make no mistake about it, but when he comes to you, it's going to come through grief. What's another one here? Through rejection. He was rejected. And then Isaiah says, and we esteemed him not, means we didn't think highly of him. So one of the ways God's going to come to you is through grief. Another way he's going to come to you is when everybody else rejects you. And the reason why is because when you've got no one else, now you're under no illusions of who's the real source. See, and it's in those moments when everybody else is rejecting us and we're like, God, where are you? And God's like, finally, you have seen that I'm right here. When everybody else walked out, I walked in. I came to you. See, it's so important for us to understand how God works because if we don't know how God works, then we will miss him when he's working. And this is why... Every person I have ever met who has learned this process, who can look back on their life and see, you know what? That was the worst time, but I felt God's presence. I was rejected and not esteemed. I was looked over, passed over, felt like I was left for dead, but God was there. See, that's how he works. And the reason why I'm stressing this is because Our culture doesn't understand this. You want to know why I know this? Because we make heroes out of people that are pretty, as if that was a character quality. I mean, just think about it. All the famous actresses and actors, and I'm not saying they're not good actors and actresses, but, but what I'm getting at, by and large, the people that are pretty, we put up on pedestals. But do you want to take advice from people like that? Oh, well, let me answer that quickly. No. Which we've learned this now, right? This is why it always makes me laugh when people trot out celebrities to endorse things. I'm like, well, if they're endorsing it, I'm probably going to do the exact opposite. Unless it's a skincare line, right? You're like, well, I want to look like her. But almost always, the people who have built up their life on fame and influence and glory their lives are falling apart. And the reason is, is because we look, as 1 Samuel says, to the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so if you and I aren't careful, then we'll think all those things are the source. And they're not. And God doesn't work like the world works. And so Jesus shows up and He had no form or majesty and no beauty that you should desire him as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, one from whom people hide their faces. And they're like, why would I follow that guy? Until he comes back to life, right? And then everybody follows him because they realize the power doesn't come from our ability on the outside to produce something. It comes from God's ability on the inside. Now, let's go back to John chapter 1, but before we get there, I want to give you this quote from Charles Spurgeon, because I love it, and and, and it talks about this idea of John John 1, 9 and 10, God being the light, but Spurgeon said it like this, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay, and the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. So Jesus is the light, and he shows up. And just like the sun can melt wax and melt ice and also harden clay, when the sun shows up, there are some people that they hear what I just said, and that hardens them. And they're like, there's no way. That's how God works. And then there's other people who, who have experienced grief and rejection, and they're thinking, thank God that's how God works. This is why Jesus says, it is the hardest for the rich person to get into heaven. Why? Why? Because the rich person has to overcome a lot of imaginary sources, a lot of imaginary things that act like sources. And that same light that shines hardens some, but softens others. Look at John 1, 11 and 12. You'll see what I'm talking about. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So he came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. So that's the light showing up. And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't want a savior that looks like that, despise, reject. I mean, come on. Jesus was just a carpenter's son. You wouldn't want him on your fireman calendar. This is the guy that wouldn't have been attracted to. And so all these people reject him. They don't receive him. But then verse 12, he says, but to all who did receive him, how do you receive? Who believed in his name? He gave the right. Now, those two words, receive and believe, are very, very important. The, the word there, believe, is the word I've been telling you often, is the Greek word pistou, which means to believe in, to trust in. Not believe that, believe in. So for those people who have taken that step of faith and have actually put themselves into Jesus as the source and realized no one else can do it, they receive the right to become children of God. Now, this is an important word because notice he didn't say the word achieve. It's not achieve, it's Receive. This is what I was saying earlier. The gospel is not the story of how you can get to God. And every other religion on the face of the planet is built upon that. How I can do these works to try to get how I can achieve. But let me ask you something. Can I achieve my way in to a family? Let me ask it to you like this. Before I was born, did I achieve my way in? You'd be like, no, that's stupid. Because you weren't alive. That's right. Did I have anything to do with it? No. It was up to the will of my mom and dad. Thank God. But it's not something that I achieved my way into as a status as a family member. And then this is why the most dysfunctional families are those who think that they have to continue to achieve to have that right and privilege. So those of you that are parents, please do not set up your family household on achieving. Like I have to earn the right to receive a status. No, that's not how it works. It's something you receive. Well, how does that work? Look at verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who were born. See, this is what I'm referencing. To believe is to be born again. Now, we'll get into this in more detail in John chapter 3. When Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus, rather famous conversation, about being born again, cuz Nicodemus wisely was like, "Hold up, how can I be born again? I can't go back into my mother's womb." And Jesus is like, "No, you're missing it, bro. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit." But Jesus was making the same connection to how you were born physically as how you're born spiritually. It's not done of you. It's something you receive. It's something that you can't make happen. And then he gives three knots. In your Bible, it reads one knot and two nors, but it's the idea of there's three things that this is not how it happens. First one, he says, this is not of blood. See, I am a part of my family by blood. There's two ways to be a part of a family, blood and adoption. And so I'm a part of my family. This is why everybody would say to me, you look just like your father. Because I am blood. Their blood is in me. And so I owe my life to that. But that's a physical sense. And what John is saying here, in a spiritual sense, your family of origin doesn't matter. The bloodline that you come from Doesn't matter. Why? Because it's not about human blood. It's about the son of God's blood. It's a different kind. Now, this is either good news or bad news for you. For those of you who come from a messed up bloodline, this is great news. Those of you who come from a dysfunctional bloodline, this is great news because you understand, thankfully, oh God, my family of origin doesn't keep me out. But in the bad news sense, you may have grown up in a great family. And here's the flip side. Your family of origin doesn't get you in. See, this is what the Jews missed. And we'll get this when we get to John chapter 8. It's it's one of the crazy encounters with Jesus when he's talking to Jewish people. And they're like, hey, Abraham's our father. And Jesus is like, no, actually, Abraham's not your father. The devil is your father. You want to know why they killed Jesus? Because he said stuff like that. Because what is Paul saying in Galatians chapter two and three? It's not about the blood of Abraham. It's about the faith of Abraham. And so just because you're in the lineage of the blood of Abraham, father, Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. So are you. That doesn't matter. So so let me say it to you like this. My, My kids who are the son of a pastor, when they get to God in heaven, they cannot say, Hey, you can let me in because I come from my daddy's line. You know, dad, pastor of that crazy church revolution. No, my kids and your kids and you can't claim lineage to someone else's faith. Second thing he says here, who were born not of blood, but who born also not of the will of the flesh. Desires. Again, the idea of this is is talking about in a physical sense because the whole reason why you were born is because someone had desires prior to you and that will of their flesh brought you about. I don't have to explain that to you. But here's on a spiritual level what that means. Your flesh is no help at all. Now, this is where the debate rages that I was saying earlier about He gives light to everyone, but then he says, but only those who were born again. And here's what you need to know. Life precedes seeing the light. We know this from Genesis chapter one, because in Genesis chapter one, there was God, and then God said, let there be light. So life precedes light. And what that means for you and I is this, the debate is, well, am I saved because I chose God or because God chose me? Is it my will or his will? Here's what he's saying. Your will is of no help to you. And for those of you, and if you want a good message on this, and by good, I'm not saying I did a good job. I'm just saying if you want a better explanation of it, go back and listen to our Roman series. It was week 23. That's on our website. You can go watch it. where I was preaching through Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, where it talks about predestination and free will. Here's where most people falter when they think about free will. They have a humanistic perspective of free will where they think, and most of you think, well, I can choose good or I can choose bad. I can choose God or I can choose not to believe in God. I can choose light or I can choose darkness. The Bible says, no, you can't. So the Bible is not against free will. It's just against a humanistic version of free will that tells you you actually have the ability to choose light. What the Bible says is, You choose only darkness. So it doesn't mean that you don't choose. It just means that left to yourself, you would never choose God. Because your will is enslaved to sin. Because what does the Bible say? Does the Bible say that you were sick in your sins? That, That you were really jacked up, but you still had a little left? No, what does the Bible say? You were dead, bro. Dead in your trespasses and sins. This is where most people misunderstand the effects of original sin. You have no power anymore to choose light. So your flesh is no help at all when it comes to being born again. Which again, we get this. Did I have anything to do with my physical birth? Was I there? Nope. Thank God. I'm a result of someone else's actions. That's what John is saying, spiritually speaking. You are a result of someone else's actions. You're born not of the will of the flesh. Second, thirdly, he says, nor of the will of man, which that means the will of the flesh is something from within, and the will of man is something from without, someone else's will. You're not born... Because some other man (laughs) who looked like Fabio had the power to give you what only God could give you. It's of God. And that's why I love these three phrases. And if you've been around here, you know I say it often. But God. But this one just has one word interjected in there. But it's a huge word. It's a preposition word. It's but of God. And the word of This preposition is what's called a preposition of agency. What that means is God is the agent. God is the one who does it. So you and I are born again. We can see the light because God. Because God opened our eyes and enabled us to see which the story of the gospel is this, and here's the quote from C.S. Lewis that I'll end us with. It's on the screen. The son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Now, ladies, don't read into that, what I'm not saying. It means mankind. And don't read into it like God doesn't have daughters. He does. The idea, though, of son is about the right. Right. The Bible says there is only one person who has the right to be called the son of God. Not the son in how we think of it, like he was created. Again, that's different theology, but we're talking about relationship here. See, the son has always and forever been in relationship to the father. They have a right to one another. And so John says, only God can give you that right but the good news of the gospel is he didn't want you to grow up and not know him so he sent his son and jesus's favorite title for himself was the son of man so the son of god became a son of men so that sons of men now had the right to become sons of god daughters of god children of god See, sonship is not something you can achieve. It's something you receive when you believe. And when you believe, that faith act happens because you were born again. So born again, believe. Now you have the right. We'll get into this more in a few weeks, but I just want you to understand now that the reason Why is Jesus the true light? Because he's the only true son. He's the only one who came. And the good news of the gospel is God didn't leave you in the dark. And if you now can have your eyes open to see who he is and respond in faith, you can have the same right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of who Jesus is. He is God, and he is in relationship with you. He is the unique son. And so therefore, God, if we want to become children of God, we can quit trying to achieve it, quit trying to make it happen, but receive it. But the reason why so often, God, we don't receive it is because we don't know Jesus. We don't know him. We missed how he was coming to us. He was coming to us in grief and rejection, not in glory, not yet. And God, there may be some people here today that have really been struggling with grief and really been struggling with rejection, really been wondering where you are, I pray now that they would see that you are in those things. Because when everything's going great in their life, they don't need you. But when they have no one else, that's when they turn to you. So God, I pray right now you would open their eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is and that they would believe. i be looking around or talking here as we close, but... If you want to believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, and receive the right to become sons and daughters of God. In just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of faith. But we know that that can't happen unless God right now is opening your eyes to see the truth about who he is. And so if God has opened your eyes to see the truth of who he is and you want to respond in faith and be saved, then you can pray with me. It doesn't have to be out loud, but you can say this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son Jesus, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, who was rejected and despised, to take my place for my sin." I trust Jesus to save me. Would you forgive me for my sin and make me a son. Make me a daughter. Thank you for loving me. Now again, nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you just prayed and trusted Jesus for the first time, then you now have the right to be called a child of God. He has done for you what you couldn't have done for yourself. So if that's you, we wanna know about it. If you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see you? We just have a gift for you, thank you. Got men and women walking around, gonna put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. But if you're in one of our physical locations or our online location, in just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to respond Fill out a digital connection card. Let us know who you are so we can follow up with you. But as always, those of us who have trusted Jesus, I want to encourage you with this message too. Because if you've been looking for God to come to you in all the wrong ways, then you're missing out on life. But if you now maybe through this message can look back and like, oh my gosh, he did come to me through that grief. He did come to me through that rejection. He did come to me through that situation. Then that can build your faith to know that God did come to you. And now you can pray, God, give me eyes to see that in the future. Give me eyes to see that how you work is not how I think you should work. And you may come to me in all the wrong ways and how I think, but help me to see you. Father, I pray that you would work in us like this and help us. Because like I said earlier, without you, we are hopeless. But thank you for loving us enough to come to us and work in us. We ask you to continue to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.